0: Man, if anybody ever calls you privileged, just if you're a Christ follower, just agree with them. It is a privilege to be a child of God, and it's a privilege. It makes it a privilege not only because we are, but because how we how we got that status. It's stunning. Well, good morning to you. I'm obviously amped up. I need to calm down so I can teach the Bible this morning. Uh, We're glad you're here. Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians 4 as we continue to work through the back half of this book. On April 13th, 1970, the Apollo Space Launch experienced an explosion, and an astronaut by the name of Jen Lavelle called Mission Control, and he said these now famous words, Houston, we have a... You know it. So I say to you this morning, church, we have a problem. It's not a new problem in the 2,000 years since the church was birthed, but it is a problem, and it is this, that the person of Jesus Christ is presented to us today in a watered-down version, version, which leads to so-called Christians marching to the beat of this fake and impoverished Jesus. Only in this perversion of him or version of him, only the attribute of love is highlighted, and there is no mention of his holiness. There's no mention of his immutability, means he does not change his mind or his character. No mention of his impeccability, which means he is unable to sin. No mention of his jealousy, which which is a great zeal for his glory. No mention of his omniscience, which not only means he's all-knowing, but that he's all-wise, and everything he does for his people is perfect. It is only his love that is mentioned. And this version of Jesus, if you would, this impoverished version of Jesus can be defined this way. God loves you just the way you are, That's true. But this definition says, and you can stay the way you are. That is a lie. Just this few weeks ago, maybe it was last week, Super Bowl Sunday. Is that right? Whenever it was. How many of you saw the He Gets Us commercial on there? Yeah. So I'm like anybody. I'm excited to see the name of Jesus during the Super Bowl commercial. And I get the desires for some to present Jesus in a way that others will maybe go and explore him. Paul says in Philippians 1, no matter the motive, if they're preaching Christ, let them preach. God will deal with that. So I'm not ranting and I'm not raging about it and I'm not trying to. But I'm just telling you, it was not the full Jesus. This commercial twists the purpose of the incarnation. Jesus did not take on flesh to be around, to be able to understand you or me. He knows you, He created you. Foolishness. He didn't take on flesh to affirm your interest, He took on flesh because you and I are sinners. Imagine spending $20 million on that message. (laughs) Social media and the world would have blown up. How do you know? That's exactly why they killed Jesus. He said, I am the only God and I am the only way for forgiveness of sins. You'll die like he did for that message. The reality is lots of those who call themselves Christians in our world have a faith built on Christianese sayings that are not in the Bible or either scriptures taken out of context. Of course, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but I can't dunk a basketball. I used to could, didn't mean to share that, just ego slipped out there. Today's text, though, says you can't claim Christ and just live as you please. That is the biblical Jesus. D.A. Carson describes our text this morning in a summary. He says, Ephesians 4, 17 through 24 is about an old way of life and a new way, an old mindset shaped by the world and a new mindset shaped by Christ. And as a reminder... In our context, Ephesians chapter 4, the context is this, that our conversion experience, chapters 1 through 3, all that God did to call us to himself and bless us with every spiritual blessing and give us a new identity in Christ, adopted into the family of God. All of that triggers a radical change in our lives. And here's the change Paul talks about. In Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, he says, We have been called to be one people, so you must cultivate unity. Ephesians 4, 7 through 16, he says, We have been called to be spiritual people, so we must cultivate maturity, which causes unity. And then our text today, Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, We have been called to be holy people. So we must cultivate purity, because impurity destroys, what, unity. Now, I want to say to you this morning, I'm going to have to speak about, very appropriately, some sensual areas. I should have told you this at the beginning, and I got all worked up with being a child of God, so I forgot. It ain't my fault, all right? (laughs) So if you have some children here that you're not ready to maybe talk about those areas, you might want to give them some Benadryl and knock them out. (laughs) Or maybe slip outside, let somebody take care of them and come back. You you get my picture. I just want to be sensitive because there has been times that I have not been. First point here, let me read verses 17 through 19. The old life, the old life. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality greedy to practice every kind of impurity. I want to go back, look at verse 4-1. This is where it's connected. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Then go straight to verse 17. Now this I say and testify to the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So Paul equates walking worthy of your calling with not walking like the Gentiles walk. He adds the words in the Lord just for authority reasons, saying although he's writing it, it's just as if the Lord himself is writing it. And at this point forward, Paul's readers or anyone who reads this have a decision to make before they move forward. They have to make an ethical decision about their lives when you read verse 17. You get that? You can no longer walk like the Gentiles walk. We could say, do not live like the American culture lives. Do not live like the world lives is simply what Paul is saying here. Notice, too, that he starts with the words, now this I say, Now, this, I say, is just another way to say the word therefore. The Bible, look, it's slam full of therefores. And when you see therefores, you're probably going to see application afterward because it necessitates us to live in accordance of who we are now in Christ instead of who we was. Is that good English? But you'll remember it. The therefores demand from us a response of obedience to our new identity in Christ. So Paul starts there. Now, I want you to know that the Christ followers in the church at Ephesus, they struggled and had a difficult time trying to obey Christ in their pagan world just like you and I. It wasn't like it was easier because they didn't have technology and cell phones. The flesh, you can take a man or a woman and they can become a monk and they will still sin in this area. You understand what I'm saying? Read Matthews 5 through 7. Let me give you a little inside scoop to the city of Ephesus. Many say it was one of the most evil cities in Asia Minor. Its focus, no doubt, was a temple, the temple of Diana or Artemis, depending on what you wanted to call it, same place. People of Ephesus and travelers or pilgrims traveling came by the thousands to worship a religion that the core and key thing was sex. So attendance was not a problem. Diana was worshipped as a sex goddess with thousands of temple prostitutes ready at all times, singers and dancers, and they would get together and participate in what I'll say inappropriate gatherings, which also included self-mutilation as worship turned into a frenzy of shamelessness. Here's how Peter would speak to this Greco-Roman culture. 1 Peter 4. For the first time, for I'm sorry, for the time that is past suffices for doing what gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge. What they struggle with is the very same thing that we struggle with. I want you to notice though, Paul's primary concern to Christians, he's not speaking to non Christians, to Christ's followers is not this list of specific sins, if you would, but he speaks about the distortion of the mind. First, he speaks futility of their thinking, he says, in verse 17. Secondly, he says, darkened in their understandings and ignorance that is in them, verse 18. And thirdly, he says, they have deceitful desires, verse 22. So what Paul does here is Paul also wrote the book of Romans. And in Romans 1 that he wrote, and here in Ephesians 4, He views, and the scriptures view, sin as a malfunction of the mind. Romans 1 puts it this way. Although Gentiles knew God, they did not acknowledge him as God. So as one writer put it, the refusal to know that they, to refusal, this refusal to know that they know is expressed in Ephesians as hardness of heart. And what you get in both texts is this, willful willful futility, darkness, distorted reasoning that leads to a reckless lifestyle and direct opposition to God and his ways. One writer said, sins are not the cause of the problem, but the result. In Romans 1, Paul also says, God gave them over. To their sinful desires. And here Paul uses really the same thought when he says, futility of mind. God gave them over, they walk in futility of mind. This, this, those words, the picture for those words describe this: meaningless, uselessness, worthlessness, empty, vanity. It's a life of trivial things. Nothing really matters. People chase bubbles and shadows. And you know what happens when you catch the bubble? Pops. And they do this until you have your candle blown out. And then it's box packing time because they take your dead corpse and pack you in a pine box. That's futility of mind. It can really be seen, a great example is to some quick reading, read through the book of Ecclesiastes. It is there that Solomon, the world's richest man, the world's wisest man, the world's, the the man who had the most women and the most prestige, sums up all of life with his 700 plus concubines. Vanity. It's all Vanity. It's like blowing your breath on a cold winter morning, seeing the fog, and immediately as you see it, it disappears. Futility of mind. That's what's driving their behavior. Their hardness of heart has led to a darkness of heart. Because they're alienated from the light and life of God. That's where we go. That is sin's trajectory which leads then to a deadness of heart. That's why the scriptures call us dead. It says we're a spiritual corpse, and the results are a reckless life and defiance to God. A good illustration would be that of Pharaoh. You remember in Exodus, God came to Pharaoh and, and told him, let my people go. And if you'll read through the book, you'll see over and over and over, It says, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, and all of a sudden, boom, it says, God hardened his heart. Now, who did it? Pharaoh hardened his heart, and he said to God over and over, you do not exist. I do not care about you, and I do not want to care about you. And God said, I will give you exactly what you desire, a life with a hard heart. It didn't end well for Pharaoh. We... Sang about him this morning. Did you notice that? Split the Red Sea. Except he didn't make it. Verse 19 shows us that the results of verse 18 is this. Insensitivity to God leads to sensuality in the life of people. Sensuality. Sensuality. That's what Paul speaks of here. It is the idol that Gentiles worship. Although it can mean a list of many outrageous sins, our context, and when this word is used by far in the scriptures, it communicates primarily sexual sins, unblushing sexual obscenity. The word to practice in verse 19 is really translated continual lust. Paul is telling us to reject the lifestyle of our culture and world because of theologian Kyle Snodgrass puts it, says this. Christianity emphasizes, and this is in your notes, on the one hand, The futility and distortion of humanity without God and on the other hand, the value of humanity in God's eyes and with God. It invites us to recognize that we are vile, but it also invites us to desire to be like God. That's Christianity. It knows that human beings need a redemption they do not deserve, but also that God thinks they are worth redeeming. That's why it's a privilege to be a child of God. Unwanted sexual behaviors, Paul says, reject those. Blaise Pascal, the great French theologian and philosopher and mathematician, said this, pride takes you from God and lust binds you to yourself. Our passions are never satisfied. We always want more. Even when we know our actions are harmful to us and our relationships, we still choose them. So our old life, that's what we're talking about here in these verses, was what? Worshiping the God of self, which ends up in us being controlled by our desires in slavery to them and those desires that promise so big in the beginning never, ever satisfy. They destroy. And if you're living in reality, you know the reality of that, just like I do. John Stott said this about our desires. The more control we give to these desires, the more corrupting they become. Desires are not bad in themselves. They are are God's given assistance for living, in a sense. But they need a Lord. Give them one. Christ wants to be the Lord of your desires. He wants us to desire what he desires, his own glory. And he wants us to hate what he hates. That's called transformation. That's what he wants to do in this. And in that, I promise you, you will flourish and then the other, you will not. So how do we change the way to think, which in turn surrenders our desires to align with the one we call holy, holy, holy? Paul tells us next in verse 20 and 21. He said, man, you've got to go back to school. And some of y'all hate school, but you've got to go back. And it's called the school of Christ. Let me read verses 20 through 21. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So if the Gentiles, the world's core problem is a distorted mind, which he spoke of in 17 through 19, the solution can only be a renewing mind. Which big picture is in some ways the way Paul describes the results of salvation. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Literally, verse 20 says, you did not learn Christ this way. Paul is saying here, Christ is a person. so, So more is intended here than just mere intellectual facts about him. Paul's readers have been schooled in the Messiah. They know him because they came to Christ, the Holy Spirit indwelled them. And Paul, Paul stayed there three years. In Acts 20, Paul says with his own mouth to the Ephesian elders as he left them for the last time, he said, I shrunk back nothing in declaring to you all things about Christ. So Paul writes back now, and he can say, huh, you did not learn Christ this way because I'm the one that taught you. The context here is that their learning Christ is the result of their new union in Christ, chapters 1 through 3. Paul is saying, look, you learn Christ, you learn all the benefits, all the things he did for you, that he made you his child, that all the things in chapters one through three justified you, etc. And that is the springboard for you being able to do anything you want, anytime you want, anywhere you want. <laughs> no. Paul's saying that. You learn Christ and all he did for you. That is the springboard to live for him. In the way that he would be pleased and honored. So for us who have all been deceived by the lies of the world. We, verse 21 tells us, have the truth to turn to. And the truth is in a person. Because where you find truth, you're going to find Jesus. And where you're going to find Jesus, you're going to find the truth. Truth does not exist apart from Him. I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you really believe that? Man, it's amazing to me sometimes how we as Christians can go to supplementary re- material, which I love going to, but I love going to rich, biblical, Christ centered, Christ honoring, uh, supplemental reading that makes me more hungry for Christ. Versus something, that's a lot of weird stuff out here. And as I have conversations, I hear people reading these books, and I'm like, that doesn't fit. You see what I mean? Christ is truth. Paul rightly assumes that a salvation encounter with Jesus has changed and will change everything about their behavior and notice the contrast of verse 17 and 19 where it says folks were ignorant and in Christ they are learned or taught i have spoken on ivy league campuses and 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 you need <laughs> i'm laughing i'm country as can be east carolina pe major and they bring me in the ivy league campus to speak about christ And here's what's amazing to me, these academically very smart but pagan students and the questions they ask. Coming to Jesus really can make you smart in terms of life. Salvation at its most basic level is a change of mind and heart. It is what the word repentance means, to change your mind. We no longer say, well, I think. We say, what does Christ think? So let me give some clarity here, okay? The clarity this morning is yes, we live in a world and the world is doing what the world does. Right? It sins sexually because it takes God's holy, beautiful gift of sex in the in the Covenant marriage of one man and one woman for a lifetime, which is the only place sex and sexual behaviors are allowed. You get that. Anything outside of that is sin and goes against God's design. And the world has turned it upside down. The world applauds for sex anytime, anywhere, with anyone From pornography to homosexuality to adultery to transgenderism to parents taking their kids, elementary school kids, to porn shows, some of those in churches, to the many sexual identities, it agrees with Paul they are greedy to practice every kind of impurity known to man. But I want to say again, Paul ain't talking to the world. <laughs> and I ain't talking to the world. I'm talking to blood bought Christ followers, to real Christians. Here's how Paul addressed this issue of sexual. Unwanted sexual behaviors. 1 Corinthians six. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. <laughs> Paul speaks to their past. That's who you are, were, but that's not who you now are. But you were washed and sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. And such were some of you. I want to declare something to us this morning. You may know this, you may not. But every single person is a sexual sinner. None of us have navigated this beautiful yet powerful and complex gift of God to a married couple of men and women. None of us have navigated perfectly. Many of us have indulged and made too much of it. Some of us have this attitude about it that's disgusting and dirty. And we don't see it as God intended. All of that. Is at play here. But the scriptures tell us over and over that one of the proofs of salvation is that you hate your sexual sin. That you want to change. You are under conviction. Change is indeed possible. But it's only possible if you admit it, confess it, and fight the fight against it, which is going to be point three today. Jesus loved and spent time with prostitutes, but it was them who came away changed, not him. Going to school, to the school of Christ, is really similar to Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. That is how you go to school. Are you hungry? And are you thirsty for more of the Lord Jesus because you're so needy? That's how we go to the school of Christ. Your need is great because your propensity to sin in this area is great. And I want to tell you that sexual sin, that's why Paul addresses it, destroys the unity in a church. Does it not? destroys the husband and wives, unity which destroys the church, it destroys friendships, it destroys friends. We've all seen it and heard it. It's disastrous. So we have an old life. We have the school of Christ. And man, this is so good. We have the new life. Look at verse 22 through 24. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So Paul here says, after your enrollment in the school of Christ, Paul says you need to learn three things. Three takeaways from this school of Christ. One is you put off your old ways of life. Two, you renew your mind with the things of Christ, and then you put on your new way of life. What in the world is he talking about? Maybe another way to put it is believers are taught the ways of Christ, but their part is to put his ways into practice. But put on, renew, put off. Or put off, renew, put on, sorry. Putting off and putting on is really another way of expressing the ideas of dying to self. We put off, we die to self, and we put on by rising to new life in Christ. It's really a picture of baptism, what happens to us spiritually. The tense of the verbs here are important. What you and I need to know, it is not a one-time event. It is continual continuously, throughout the day. It never stops till you die. We put off, renew, put on. I mean, yeah, put off, renew, put on. It is the new way of life for a Christian. I don't know about you, but early in my Christian life and along the journey, my desires felt so aggressively sinful. I needed some other men to tell me it is indeed possible to put off, renew, and put on and see this area of sensuality completely different. It's just not a human activity. It's certainly connected with our identity in Christ the one who has loved us and declared that we are his, that I'm no longer my own, that I am bought with a price. He is there prompting you and convicting you and giving you more light. Here's how I'd put it. You die, you renew, you rise. And you die, renew, and rise. And you do that Every single day until you meet Christ face to face. And I'll just tell you, there ain't no other way. And if you get up one morning and you don't die and you don't renew, I can guarantee you what you ain't going to do, you ain't going to put on. Folks, what we read, what we watch, what we meditate on shapes how we think about God and sensuality. That's why we did the fasting and prayer deal. More of shaping our thoughts than we were doing before. Put another way, what we eat physically shapes us too, does it not? Spiritually speaking, the self we feed is what, how we'll think about this area. I'm reminded of a classic story of a guy in Alaska who every Saturday took two dogs down to fight in town. And every Saturday, one of his dogs, he picked the one that would win. And he'd always win the money. After months of doing this, taking everybody's money, a guy pulled him to the side and asked him, How do you know what dog is going to win? You always win. He says, because I always bet on the one I fed that week. That's the way it's true for us. Oh my gosh. Here's how F.F. Bruce put it Sexual desire is enormously seductive because that is the first place, or the one place, where pleasure, pride, and power concentrate so heavily. There is no vacation for the Christian, and it's fighting against sin. You and I don't get days off. We come to Christ. It's a synonym for change. Day in and day out, we wake up and say, put off, renew, put on. Stand with me this morning. Last time we preached, last time I preached, I made you stand. I showed you how to run as a Christian. Y'all not standing fast enough. Get up. And I told you, always we run always reaching forward to be helped, always reaching back to help. This morning, I want to give you a picture. Wouldn't it be great if this was a church slam full of folks who every morning, you got out of the bed, you put your feet on the floor, and here's what you did. You stretched. Everybody stretch with me. Stretch. Uh. And the first thing you did was you put off and you threw that old life, that old self across the room. You put off. And when you put off, here's what you said. I have been crucified with Christ. I am dead. Galatians 2.20. And then your next step was you grab your head because you're renewing your mind and you say to yourself, everybody grab your head. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And then you put your arms through a new Christ jacket (laughs) and you say to yourself, in the life I now live in the flesh, I live by trust in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's how you fight sin in any area, especially sexual sins. You can sit down now. I want to encourage you with all my heart to do that. If your spouse is not here, don't tell her. and You just do it one morning and they're like, you can blame it on me. Some people say there's no secret sauce to fighting these kinds of sins that just plague us. But there is. There's secret sauce here. And I'm going to give them to you. Because some of you haven't used this secret sauce before because it seems so bland. Here's the secret sauce. You have to meet with the person of Christ in the scriptures. There's no way around it. You have to pray. You have to make time. To speak with him. And some of you aren't going to like this one. You have to be in this area. Meeting with a... In any area, really. It's, this is sin fighting. But we're focusing on sensual sins. With a community of people. And when I say that, I mean you're meeting with other men who are peers in the struggle and you're meeting under other men who are mentors or women. Look, 25% of women are porn watchers. This whole thing has gone crazy. But men who can mentor you and you got to tell them the truth. You never get out of it unless you do. And then you got to see the beauty of Christ. Piper wrote a book called Seeing and Savoring the Beauty of Christ. Whenever you try to put something off, you got to replace it. Christ is beautiful. He's more better. He's more satisfying. He's more glorious. And if you don't see him that way, you'll return, like I have at times, to the pig trough to eat. That is the secret sauce. So what is the so what this morning? The so what, if you look down on your outline, if you don't have one, I would encourage you to get one. Um, The so what is put off, renew, put on. How do you do that? You pick one of these resources based on your need, and you need to add one called the Samson Society that I forgot to put on there Samson Society. You pick one of these based on your needs. They're, they're everything here. To see sex as God sees it, sex and the supremacy of Christ, from porn resources, SA, Sex Addicts, Anonymous. Uh, it's got everything. Homosexual. Uh, great reads of two gals uh, by Rosera and Jackie Hill Perry with homosexual desires. It's got everything. Repentance is a change of mind. Your mind has malfunctioned just like mine has. It needs renewing. It is what Christ's followers do. We go to school, and man, these are your classes right here. So take a minute. We need a church full of people repenting and going to the school of Christ to fight this area, to preserve our unity. Take a minute and do that.
1: Said from the stage, um, numerous times over 23 years, that that um, this has always been a great vulnerability in my life, and I know that I'm not alone because I've had enough conversations and I've been around enough groups to know that. So I, I don't really concern myself so much with that. It's just it's here we are. You got to fight the good fight. It, it really does come down to that. Um, we are either just allowing ourselves to drift or we're fighting against the current of our flesh. So one of the things that is an essential step in the process. So this morning, something has surely come to mind where you're like, you know what, I need to address that. That's that's the old self. That's the thing i got to put off. So where you start is a thing called confession. And confession, all that really is, is just agreeing with God that it is what it is. So what we want to do, we have a a few minutes left here this morning. Something came to mind this morning. So we want to give you some moments to confess that to agree with God to say to him I see it I acknowledge it I don't minimize it I don't dismiss it I actually hate it most people hate their sin but it's so alluring isn't it so I want to ask you close your eyes bow your head not trying to get too formal here but just this really just needs to start with you and the Lord. And just say to Him, whatever it is He has shown you today, whatever it is, acknowledge it, admit it to Him. David in Psalm 51. Paraphrase. He just said, I see it, Lord. (laughs) And my sin is first and foremost against you. So let me address that. He is not surprised. Jesus died he shed his blood so that very thing that you just acknowledged before him so that that could be covered and so that you could be set free. David prayed, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Lord Jesus, would you make today a new day of freedom? The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lord, help us as we leave this place today to surrender to you and your ways, to see life as you see it, to love the things that you love and hate the things that you help us to put off, to renew, and to put on in the power of your Holy Spirit for your glory and our good. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, every, everybody say, thank you, Jesus.